Today's episode is brought to you by Mother Love. Mother Love makes herbal care products for pregnancy, birth, baby, and breastfeeding. I know I couldn't get enough of their More Milk Plus supplements when I was nursing my twins, and I've recommended it to countless clients in years since then. I also love their nipple cream for any sore nipples or any nipple irritation. For more information, check them out at motherlove.com. Hello, Arrow family. This is Tara Campbell-Lucier, an Arrow's Angle podcast, and we are so excited to bring you another amazing birth story episode today. Uh, we have Aaron on the podcast today, and um, Aaron is a former uh, doula client of mine and dear friend. And Aaron, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. We're so happy to have you. Thank you for having me. And as I mentioned, this was a perfect excuse to get out of the bedtime routine with my one-year-old and my two-year-old. <laughs> to which I said, I do the same thing with different commitments in my life. <laughs> so uh, every once in a while, it's nice to have that break. So Aaron, why don't you tell us just a little bit about how you and I know each other and um, how many babies you have and all that good stuff. Yeah. So I'm currently living in Paris, France. Um, with my husband and my two babies, uh, a daughter who is actually almost three now, and my son, Vaughn, who was actually born here in Paris, who's 16 months old. And I met Tara um, when I was searching for different care providers during my first pregnancy. And from the moment we talked, I knew that I just thought about birth and parenting the way she did. And I wanted her by my side for the pregnancy. Um, That worked out incredibly well, clearly. And so when I got pregnant with my second, even though we were living overseas, I reached out to Tara and asked if she'd be up for an international adventure and trying (laughs) to come out for the birth of my son, Um, which Luckily, you you know my body better than I do and knew I was going to be a little bit late. So I was thrilled that you were able to time your vacation right when my son was born. Yep, it all worked out. I remember you reached out to me. So his due date was around like the very first couple of days of December, right? Like December 2nd or 1st or something like that. Yeah, good memory. His due date was the 2nd. Yeah, I remember because we had a big school event um, that I helped fundraise. You know, I'm one of the I help a lot with their school and it's the biggest fundraiser of the school of breakfast with Santa. And so I knew I had to be there for the second. And then I was just like, you know what, after the second, I could totally fly out. And it was like, and you were what, 10 days late with Bodhi or a week late? Yeah, exactly. Okay. 10. Yeah. So I was like, you know, we kind of took a gamble there, you know, to, to, to know if that would work. And I think we both knew that going into it, but I just yeah. always had such a good feeling about it. You reached out to me, I believe in like March or April. Um, yeah, probably about this time, you know, of uh, early spring. And um, I think I remember writing something back like, um, like, you've asked the right girl. Like, if you think I'm not going to come, you didn't ask the right person. Because <laughs> I'm always up for an adventure, especially if it's an in- international one, and it involves a birth or baby. So <laughs> um, it was awesome. awesome. That was so great. Um you said you wanted to share something really great just about your first pregnancy with Bodhi when you were here in the States and that we met the first time. Yeah. So I think probably like a lot of people, my husband and I decided we wanted to start trying to get pregnant and having a lot of friends that it, it, fertility and all that had been a long journey. I didn't expect to get pregnant right away. Um, but luckily 
um, we got pregnant very suddenly. So I think like most people do, um, I just went to my normal OBGYN provider. Um, they, I was at a big, a huge group with multiple offices in the Virginia, DC and Maryland area. And it all just felt a little bit impersonal. Mm -hmm. Um, early in my pregnancy with my daughter Bodie, I felt so ill. Mm. And so I was simultaneously struggling with trying to feel like I needed to do a lot of preparation and research, but also just not feeling like I had the strength or even the stomach to be driving around or doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, I call it hibernation so- mode, by the way. I'm like, I will, I'm, yes. I'm going to wake up in second trimester. Don't expect anything out of me except for my bed or couch and you can feed me pieces of toast and I will basically wake up in the second yeah. trimester. <laughs> it's yes. Just like, it's awful. That was very much how I felt. Um, and I, some of my relatives had had complicated pregnancies um, due to some blood clotting conditions. Mm-hmm. So early on, I also had a bit of stress in that I got blood tests done and was found to have some clotting factors that meant that this is after a lot of appointments and and a visit to a high risk doctor, they determined that I wasn't at any risk in my pregnancy. But if I were to have a C-section, it would be a lot more complicated. I would need additional medicine and the recovery would be a bit more difficult because of the anti-blood clotting drugs that I would need to go on. Mm -hmm. So that is kind of what I was dealing with at first. Once I got the go-ahead from the doctors on the blood clotting condition, I did a bit of research and thought that maybe I would try to avoid an epidural and have a natural childbirth. Um, The logic being, if I didn't get an epidural, it might make a C-section less likely and therefore would make my blood clotting condition less of an issue. Um, I'll say that I was incredibly undogmatic about this and incredibly (laughs) humble about it, um, not knowing kind of what was in front of me or what the experience would be like at all. I met with a variety of midwives, some that did home births, some that um, were in hospitals. I actually met with a number of other OB providers, and I felt a little bit unique in that I wanted the security of a hospital setting and of modern medicine, but I also wanted kind of a softer touch. And so not knowing what I was really doing, wandering about, trying to find the right team for Mm -hmm. my birth, um, I felt a little bit like on one end, it was like I could be bleeding out and someone wanted to rub witch hazel on me. Mm -hmm. And on the other end, you know, I would just walk into a hospital and be pricked with needles and given a C-section. I think Um, that what you just said is such a common sentiment, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but I think a lot of people feel that way because it can go either way in those settings. And it's like finding that right fit. And obviously in DC, we're really lucky to have a multitude of options and and resources available to like choose what that right fit is for us. Um, But I think, and I feel that way. I feel a lot of what you just said as well, personally, but I just think that's a really good point because- you kind of want that happy medium, right? Or that sweet spot, like I like to call it. Yeah. 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 And it took, it actually took a lot of time and research. I met with a lot of doulas, a lot of care providers. I was lucky enough 
to end up um, with the GW midwives, um, as you know. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if you remember this. I first emailed Mari, your partner, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I just thought her website looked cool and she had some good reviews. Mm -hmm. And she wrote back to me and said, actually, she was all booked, all booked up for April um, and sent me your way. Oh, you know what? I think I vaguely do remember that. Mary and I did that for like years because we always back each other up. And uh, I mean, really, like like nine or 10 years we did that for. So I, I sometimes I don't remember like if, I, you know, which one, like if she sent it to me or vice versa. But um, yeah. She totally um, did not the, get the good end of that deal because <laughs> she didn't get to meet you in heaven. <laughs> Bodie and Vaughn, of course. <laughs> so funny. Um, so the next part, I guess, is is more boring. So I'll fast forward. Um, I was lucky enough that the rest of my pregnancy developed relatively normally. Um, and I was pretty thrilled to have settled in with the GW Midwives crew. Yeah, they're um, great. I, my due date came and went. Mm -hmm. And so I started going in for the additional monitoring. Um, It's worth noting that in one of the tests, I I still think there was some operator error, but somewhere at about 41 weeks, um, they didn't get a good reading in the non-stress test. And so we were told to immediately go to the ER. We were having a baby. Mm -hmm. We showed up at the ER, um, went in the triage room And I should note that my husband was really fired up about this. We didn't have our birth bag or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, But once they did the test there, absolutely nothing was wrong. So we were sent home. Mm. Kind of anticlimactic, right? You're like, okay, um, I'm glad I get to go home. But I thought I was, you know, I was told I was going to have a baby. Right. And I should say I was walking every day, like decently far. Mm and I hadn't even been feeling Braxton Hicks contractions. So I was starting to worry that like this baby was not going to come on its own. Mm-hmm. And let's see, it was on a Thursday. I had an appointment and they told me, you know, you still have a, a high volume of fluid. The baby seems great, but you have 41 weeks right around the corner. We need to schedule an induction on Monday. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, that's cool. So I went home and I, I organized what was called the a day of voodoo. Um, I booked an acupressure <laughs> massage, <laughs> acupuncture, a chiropractor appointment, and we planned to go out to dinner with some family at a spicy Thai restaurant. Perfect. Love that day. So I don't know if any of which of those things or some perfect combination of them worked but that night on oh no that was sorry I'm one day off so that night on Thursday night into Friday um, I woke up at like 11 p.m. and like clockwork had contractions every seven-ish minutes apart Mm -hmm. so I had contractions all through the night and they were really marching closer and closer together. So I think we got in touch with you somewhere around three or four in the morning. Mm-hmm. I remember that. And you advised us to do, I think it was polar bear pose, mm-hmm. which is sort of this child's pose with a butt up in the air, I guess I'll call mm-hmm. it. Um, and at that point, my contractions, I think were close to three minutes apart. Mm-hmm. And I did that pose 
and then they went to five minutes apart and then six minutes apart. And I remember thinking at the time, what the heck? This was actually progressing pretty well and mm-hmm. going backwards. Why, <laughs> yeah. why did I do that polar bear thing? Right, right, right. Um, why did that doula make me do this thing? I mean, come on. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I should say, I was feeling really nauseous. Um, and I mm. think my body was definitely just like emptying itself out as is mm-hmm. pretty normal. Um, so that's when things got pretty hard. I think in my head, um, you know, all night I could definitely take, they were really painful, but I could take the contractions cause things were more or less going in a linear fashion and I could see where this was going. Um, throughout the entire day, I had contractions around five minutes apart and they were really painful. Um, and nothing really was working. I didn't really want to be in the bath. I didn't really want to be in the shower. I didn't want to be on a birth ball. I definitely didn't want to be eating. I definitely didn't want to be drinking. Just sort of laying in bed was sort of all I could manage. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we were in touch with you throughout that day. And then somewhere around like 4 or 5 p.m., I think it got really mentally hard for me and mm-hmm. that I just started thinking, you know, I'm coming up on 24 hours of this and I don't know how much longer I can take. Mm-hmm. I remember um, that phone call that you guys yes, called me. Yeah. Right. So we called you and I remember I just started crying and I, I think I said, can you come over to our house? Like, I think I need help. And you were like, sure. And definitely just cry, let it out. I'm on my way. So we hung up the phone and that was just like a real energy shift or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, My contractions almost immediately went to like two minutes apart and Mm -hmm. they were really hard and strong. Mm -hmm. So I remember I looked at my husband, I was like, actually, I think we need to go to the hospital now. I think it's time, honey. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think he called you and you were like, perfect. I will actually reroute and meet you at the hospital. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that conversation and you just kind of like allowing yourself to acknowledge how mentally hard it was. And it was, like you said, it really shifted things. You were already in, you were getting into active labor, but that just kind of like catapulted you into it, I feel like. Um, And I think a lot of women, myself included in labor, get to that point where you're just like, oh, crap, this is actually really hard and I don't want to do this anymore. Like, and I, yeah. Yeah. Interestingly enough, months after our daughter was born, my husband and I were both talk, talk, telling our birth story to some friends who were pregnant. And I said that was to me the hardest moment in her birth. And my husband was really shocked because so many parts mm. later were so much more difficult physically and, and medically. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, looking back for me, that was that was kind of the one time when I was like questioning, can I do this? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so we get to the hospital and like out of some sitcom, it's around 6 30 PM on a Friday afternoon. So it's, they're closing the valet mm-hmm. and they're telling my husband, he can't drop the car off. I'm just having really strong contractions and, and kind of already mentally on a different planet. Mm-hmm. So I just step out of the car, abandon my husband and proceed to walk straight into the glass 
window <laughs> that is not the part of the moving door mm-hmm. in the GWER. Which is just um, not fair to people that are sick or laboring that they have that there. <laughs> it's just not. Yeah. To be honest, I did not care at all, but I think it must have looked really bad because mm-hmm. a swarm of people came to assist me to include like with a wheelchair. And um, at the time, I could not have cared less. I just was like, all right, oh, this, right. Is one, yeah. this is one little obstacle. I will bounce off this glass and just try the next door down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so my husband is off dealing with the car. Of course, my incredibly organized folder of entry and admittance paperwork I leave in the car um I this part was just all kind of comical I had a really big contraction right in that big lobby and I remember grabbing and putting my head in an overflowing container of recycling so like putting my face on like a used coke can um (laughs) and just kind of standing there Mm -hmm. I finally make it up um and you and Evan got up there around the same time and it was just sort of chaos in the hospital or maybe it just felt like it to me um but yeah shift change on a Friday night every birthing room was full um they finally take me into triage and I remember walking in and I was like putting on the little robe they give you and I think I told you and Evan, uh-oh, I think I just peed all over the ground. <laughs> um, I remember that. Yeah. So sure enough, my water had broken. Um, and what seems like an eternity after, but I don't think it was so long, um, Jenna, my amazing midwife that I'd actually first seen at that practice, came in and checked me and I was six plus centimeters dilated um so that was pretty exciting I at least that was great validated Mm -hmm. yeah Um, and I labored in that triage room for what seems like a very long time maybe you have a better memory of this than I do but after a while I kind of started feeling like I had to push a little bit Mm -hmm. yeah and it wasn't I mean it, it was a while but it wasn't that long it was like an hour or two hours what time was, yeah. was Bodhi born? 10. Yeah. Okay. So it couldn't have been that long because we pushed for a little while. Yeah. A long time. Yeah. Sorry. You pushed. Um, we did not push. You yeah. did. No, we did. It was definitely a team effort. <laughs> um, so yeah, at some point I remember they, I actually remember that they said that there was a third time mom who was in one of the rooms that they thought might finish quickly and I could slide into that room. And actually, this is another thing that took me by surprise. What's it, prima gravita? Or they kept they kept talking about me like, oh, this first time mom, like prima. This is, this, yeah, yeah. This is going to be like three days before her baby's born. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, you were also kind of like, you were very. Um, I know it didn't feel like it probably for you at the time, but you composed yourself really, really well for a woman that was in active labor, especially as a first time mom or a, a prima gravita or a prim- yeah. what we call a prime up. Um, well, so you, you presented yeah. like you weren't quite in active labor yet. Cause you just were very lucid and with it and that right. kind of stuff. It wasn't until like an hour later that I started sounding like a wild animal. <laughs> right. Um, but, but luckily I was in, in the room by that point. Yeah. So yeah. And by the way, it was a really chaotic time at the hospital that night. It was not just that it was shift change, which shift change can be very chaotic. Um, it was particularly busy as you've noticed, or as you've mentioned, sorry. Um, and 
it, that was one of the busiest I've ever seen GW and I've been there many, many times. It was, it was kind of bananas. Yeah. Which I, I know I've told you this, but actually for me and probably even more so for my husband, I was never more glad that we had you by our side and, you know, you there because we didn't see many nurses or midwives and we never saw a doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, It was really you and this student that I still remember named Zoe, who really was there with us for the majority of the time. Yeah, they were slammed. I mean, they were out you know, tending to other people, having babies and just, it was, it was a very busy time at the hospital, but yes, I know, I totally know what you mean. Right. So, so for everyone listening, we got back to that room and it was Tara running the show, um, <laughs> you know, helping us try different positions. Um, I was in the shower for a while. Um, at one point things started to seem to stall a little bit and you had me do this crazy painful but yet very effective maneuver Mm -hmm. where I basically put sort of crossed one leg over and did basically like a reclined twist Mm -hmm. um like laying on the bed right exactly like hanging Mm -hmm. one leg off Um, the side-lying hip release yeah yeah and maybe that that's well, I'll let you comment on what it actually does, but it seemed to just sort of align the the baby better. And after we did that, things seemed to progress a lot more quickly. Yeah, it's a it's I, I learned it from the spinning babies workshop, and it basically the weight of so let me describe it a little bit more. It's it's you're lying on the hospital bed, or if someone's in a birth center or home, they could lie on the edge of any bed. Um, or solid surface, I suppose a, a couch could work too. And then you have to put birth partner or dad to, to support. Do you remember Evan was there supporting your hip, kind of rolling yeah. back towards the bed? Um, and then the weight of the leg, like you said, the, it was kind of a twist. So the top leg, so mom's lying on her side, so left or right side. Let's say let, let, let's say you're lying on your left hip, your left side. The right leg would be dangling off the bed. Um, and so what the, what the idea is, is that the weight of that right leg, if you can really let it go, it can help widen that, um, your, your pelvis essentially, like the hip bones have a little bit more space and so they can, you know, they come apart a little bit. And so that can help a baby navigate through that pelvis a little bit better. You know, sometimes it's just a millimeter, right. For them to rotate a little bit more or get into a better position. Um, so it's, it's a great thing to do if you're kind of stalling in that six, seven, sometimes even eight um, centimeters kind of time frame, um, or, you know, where you are in labor. Um, yeah. and I think that that really helped you. I, I, I always feel bad because it's, it, people tend to really not like it because it's really uncomfortable. And I think it's really uncomfortable a lot of times because it's really effective, you know, it, it oh, really, yeah. yeah. Releasing, like trying to actually let the weight of that top leg go is pretty excruciating. But for me, I was like, this means something's happening. Like, let's do this. I don't know. I guess the the sort of former college athlete in me came out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually don't remember ever getting checked again. Mm-hmm. I think I just felt like pushing and um, started pushing. Yeah. And, and, and that like you were with a practice that is really great about that and really trusts in a woman's body and a woman knowing what um, 
you know, what her body needs to do. Right. And again, they were busy. I mean, chances are if they weren't so busy, they might've done another check, but, um, but not always at GW for sure. You know, you were, you were making some really great guttural sounds that told us that that's where you were in your labor. You were shifting into that, um, that next phase of pushing. Yeah. Um, yeah, those guttural sounds were, were really something. Um, <laughs> but they're and- so real. I mean, Ina May says, like, get in touch with your primal self, right? Like, we become yeah. primates in birth. And it's so yeah. normal. Super, super normal. Pushing for me was really hard. I think I pushed for, like, two hours. I think you did, too. That's why I was asking earlier what time she was born. Because yeah. I remember we pushed for a while. And I don't want to I don't want to take away from your story. But I because I vividly remember the different we, we, we pushed in a bunch of different positions. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, very much so. And I, and really it's, yeah. I mean, I was pushing with all of my might. Mm -hmm. It's hard work. it, It sounds really trite to say like, you know, labor is hard. Everyone understands that. And I knew it would be hard work, but yeah, pushing was absolutely exhausting. And you know, I'll just mention, I still have this really great memory of you being like, I think you should drink a Coke. And I don't even really drink Coke <laughs> in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was feeling, I think at the time I wasn't even quite aware of how fatigued and dehydrated I probably was. Um, but that Coke really kind of gave me a, a hit of energy to, to get over the finish line. I'm laughing for two reasons. One, because that's totally one of my little tricks. And then two, um, I did a podcast recently with um, another awesome um, uh, cl- former client of mine, and she said something similar. So people listening are going to be like, what's up with this lady in Cokes? <laughs> and like, yeah. Because, but it's totally, and I actually learned it from Whitney Pinger, who is the head of um, the GW, mm. or the former head of the GW Midwives. Um, she's, yeah. she's gone on to, you know, do her doctorate and some other things. But um, she, she taught me that years and years ago. And I remember thinking at the time, like, that's bananas, because like, I don't drink soda. A lot of these women don't drink soda. And as you know, GW Midwives has strict guidelines to go into their practice. Um, one yeah. that you, you I kind of wanted to follow up on. You mentioned like you were walking a lot, like towards the end of your pregnancy and trying to get Bodhi to come. One of the things is they require you to do 60 minutes of physical activity a day, preferably yeah. like walking. And the other thing is, is to like eat your rainbow and basically be gluten-free and sugar-free. You know, they're really strict yeah. on diet. And so when Whitney taught me this Coke trick, probably at four in the morning, you know, nine years ago or something, I was like, what? Like, but it's, you know, it's different. We're in labor. We're not, you know, she doesn't want you drinking Coke throughout your pregnancy, obviously, but that little bit of sugar, that little bit of fluids and the caffeine can really help a mom in labor, especially when she's working as hard as you've described you were working. Yeah. And I should just say, I was a total failure on the gluten thing because all I really wanted to eat during my pregnancy was bread and cheese. Yeah. And me, me um, too. I mean, I think, you know, like, <laughs> I didn't have them as my practice. I, you know, I just know what they say, but, yeah. and to be honest, like I've worked with a lot of people that have had them and I think that's a very, fairly common, um, common thing. Um, that's just what they say, but I, I know that, um, that's hard, you know, especially when you're craving breads and carbs and, and kind of yeah. grounding foods like that. And feeling really sick if you eat anything but that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, like I told you, I mean, I literally first trimester, I'm like 
you know, wake me yeah. up when it's second trimester and I'm done with toast. So yeah. My husband jokes that I turn McDonald's French fries into babies and it's, <laughs> it's only a little bit of a joke. <laughs> uh, um, I love that. So anyway, one last funny thing on the Coke. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I remember when my son was born, mm-hmm. I was like, wait, he can't be coming out now. I haven't even had my Coke. Oh, I like, love that. Like to me, that was that. It was like, once you've had a Coke, you can do the final push. Oh, Erin, I love that so much. And it would have been like yeah. a cute little French Coke, you know, like they do it. Yeah. So I might have needed five to get the same effect, but yeah. Right, right. Oh my gosh. Um, I love that. So anyway, yeah. Push for a really long time. Um... It was, I was expecting the hardest thing of my life, and that was true, um, and it even kind of exceeded those expectations. Um, at the very end, kind of a moment that will always stick with me, um, Hannah was the midwife who actually delivered Bodie, and for all this talk of, like, you know, let women be where they want to be, on all fours, on the toilet, for me, just the good old-fashioned kind of on my back on the bed with my feet up on some pushing bars was kind of how I felt the most comfortable and the most powerful and how I felt like I had the most leverage. Mm-hmm. So that's how I was kind of sitting or laying back. Kind and of semi reclined like that. Exactly. Yeah. And, and Hannah, I just remember her saying like, Aaron, reach down and grab your baby. Oh. And I just <laughs> jetted up and, you know, helped pull her out which was was such a powerful thing and I actually mentioned this to her at my postpartum appointment and she said I'm so glad you said that because it's something we're taught in midwifery school to give the mother you know the option to help catch the baby and she said I've actually stopped saying it because in 95% of the cases they don't respond or don't want to Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and she said you know, hearing that feedback is a good reminder that we should continue offering it because for the moms who do want to do that in the moment, um, it really was such an incredibly emotional experience for me. It, I'm, I'm a little teary eyed. So that is so beautiful. But of course I have something to say about that because her, her birth was just, it was, it was magical for, for you and Evan, obviously, but for all of us in the room, it was such a beautiful moment. Um, but I'm glad that Hannah said that because, um, I, I do that, which she said in, in some cases. And I also do that. Um, like if the baby is caught by the, by the midwife or the doctor, a lot of times moms, um, do what we like look backwards, right? Like it's the moment is so intense, whether or not they're yeah. medicated or not. I mean, the moment right. is super intense. And so they tend to look backwards and as doulas, we're taught to like, let mom have a minute, right? Like don't force her to like, look down. And I personally, and I'm, there's probably birth workers listening, like, no, Tara, this is wrong. But I personally yeah. am like, um, and I talk about this prenatally. It's not like I throw this on people in the moment, but like, I'm personally like, I may gently remind you just to like, to look down unless someone's like, no, I have trauma. I hate blood. Da, da, da. Like I really don't, you know, I'm going to give birth, but I really don't want to be a part of it, but that's, that's not most people. And so I'll say like Hannah did like, you know, Aaron, look down at your baby or reach down yeah. for your baby on your tummy if your baby's at your tummy. So um, I'm so glad to hear that she um, that she was kind of wrestling with that as well, because it is it's someone's story. Right. And so you don't ever want to mess yeah. up someone's story and you want to always contribute in the best way. Like you want like your job is done well if 
if um, the story is better just because you were simply present and or involved, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. And, and the mom, you know, I, I think in any circumstance, but especially if you're not medicated, I mean, mentally, you're kind of on another planet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you do kind of need that reminder to like, check back in, like you're almost there, you've almost done it. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I was really, really thankful for that. Well, and also just to follow that up is like, I'm a big fan of like stories, right? Like at the end of my life, all I'm really going to have are stories. And even when I'm gone or we're all gone, is it's the stories, right? And so it's like the stories we can pass down to our friends and our yeah. family and our children, our loved ones. Like, I just love that that's your story. You know, no one can ever take that away from you that you reached down and grabbed Bodhi, you know, and you and Evan got to enjoy that moment. And Bodhi's going to know that about her birth, you know, and I just... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I geek I, out on that stuff a little bit. <laughs> I needed a little rebound after walking into the glass wall and having my head buried in the dirty. Exactly. <laughs> you got your redemption, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, Aaron, that was great. So let's that see. I, I did tear a little bit, which according, I, I think it was technically not a very bad tear, mm-hmm. but it's still worth noting that it was pretty painful when they stitched it up. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously sort of a more sharp, like piercing, searing pain than like contractions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's not a natural pain at all. It's like a, Ooh, like a, Ooh, that's a heebie-jeebie pain. Right. Um, and so definitely, yeah, my recovery was, it could have been, it, it could have been a lot worse, obviously, but I was in some serious pain for a few days Actually, I should say, I should say longer than a few days. Um, but I ended up having to go back in and get like part of the wound cauterized. Erin, mm, um, I'm so, so sorry. So I guess what I would say for, for any of the listeners, like if something doesn't feel right, like go back in and, and get it taken care of. You have enough hard stuff to be dealing with, um, with a newborn, um, you know, try to get some, some help and make sure that your body is taken care of. Absolutely. I I could not second that advice at all, like anymore. Like that is so important. And you're not only just taking care of a newborn, you're like, that's part of taking care of yourself because your body just gave birth and grew the baby obviously for nine or more months. And, you know, there's, there's definitely a recovery period. And I mean, we could do a whole podcast on this, but just like the respect that you need to have for yourself and what your, your body just went through is, um, you know, in my opinion, lacking in this culture. And I'd like to see it happen more. And that would just be another, that would be like a nod in that same direction of just like, if you have something wrong with you, reach out, don't suffer silently. You know, you have a care team for a reason, go get it checked out, go get it, go get it fixed if need be. Um, yeah, I also remember that you were a super mega and I want to use the word badass, which I'm not really sure if I'm allowed to cuss (laughs) on the, on the podcast, but, um, you were, you took a test for the French, like you took a French exam yeah. because you were leaving yeah. to go not too long after Bodhi's birth. So I remember, True. was it like a week or two after she was born? So I remember you were just studying a lot, like right after yeah. Bodhi was born. Yeah. So I took a week and then I kind of resumed my French studying and tutoring. And I think it was a month and a half later that I had my actual exam. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I just remember being so impressed by you, like talking to you. I think I came for the postpartum and you were like already gearing up to like go back and meet with your French tutor or go to class or something. Um, Like not that day, but like soon. I couldn't remember exactly when, but. 
Yeah, that was a little crazy. I I probably would not recommend that ambitious yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> but when you're a first time family, like you don't know, you just don't yeah. know what to expect. And for some people that works, to be honest. And some people, it, it, you know, a lot of people, it probably doesn't. But I just remember being impressed by you that you that you were doing that. Yeah. And I think you had to for career, you know, the career stuff that you were doing and going, you know, eventually moving for your job to, to France in the near future. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, is that is that a good segue? To That's a great segue, I think. Yeah. To Vaughn? Okay. Yeah. So um, we ended up having kids almost 19 months apart, which is pretty darn close together. It is close. Um, given our circumstances, my husband had a little more time and flexibility being overseas. So we just thought, why not go for it? Um, and we, we were just going to kind of stop using birth control and like see what happened over the coming months. And I vividly remember one week I, I walked to and from work and I just had been feeling really nauseous. And I came home and told my husband, you know, I think I've like picked up a little bug. Like I actually was feeling so weak on my way home. I had to sit down. I thought I was going to be sick. And immediately he just looked at me and he said, you're pregnant. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I guess I, I could I, be. I don't think so, but maybe. And sure enough, I was. So for me, the leading indicator of pregnancy is feeling like I have the stomach flu, unfortunately. Oh, that's <laughs> awful. Um, and you're already in Paris at this point, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so luckily it didn't last for as long with my son, but it's I'm not one of these blissful, happy, pregnant people. Like mm-hmm. the first trimester is the worst, but even after that, I don't, I probably have a little bit in the second trimester where I feel okay. But if I could nap all day long, I absolutely would. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I also have to add that I feel like it's so much harder <clears throat> with subsequent children because it's not like, like with the, with my first, which were my twins, I mean, Mark knew I would come home from work and I would get on the couch and like, I couldn't even walk the dog. I like, took everything out of me to like commute. I was a school teacher back then. But then yeah. when I was pregnant with my third, I had like 18 month old twins I had to chase around and they don't give you that option to just sit around. Like, I just think it's so hard with subsequent children to be pregnant and feeling so crummy. Yes, absolutely. And you sort of have the guilt that the guilt, the mom guilt. And, yeah. With, you know, your first while they're only child because their life's going to change, but right. then you have no energy. But then yeah, you're it's... secretly like trying to creatively think of ways you can spend time with that child and they're happy, like in bed with you. <laughs> you're like, right. I'm just oh. lay down with mommy and we'll, you know, yes. like play with your blocks in my bed because I cannot get up. <laughs> yeah. I did a lot of like hide and seek in forts and hiding yes. in forts and suggesting we play sleep in a fort. That's hilarious. I love um, that. <laughs> so obviously we we gave some thought as to whether or not we wanted to return to the U.S. to have the baby or stay here and do it in France. And there is one birth center here that's a bit like GW. Um, it's a birth center attached to a hospital. And as soon as I found out I, I was pregnant, I got on the wait list for that. And unfortunately, we didn't get a place. Um, I tried to, like, sweet talk the midwife who did the information session. And I showed up with my best French and, you know, noted that it was my second kid and I'd already had one unmedicated birth. 
Mm-hmm. Um, like, I am the not- best candidate. Come on. Right. <laughs> Choose me. That they were not having any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually kind of once again met with a whole bunch of different medical providers, some who spoke a little bit of English. A lot of the appointments were in French. Um, and actually, I settled on a, a doctor who delivered at a clinic. Most women deliver in, in clinics here. Um, they're special maternity clinics. Um, and then you're transferred if there's anything wrong with baby mm-hmm. to like a NICU children's hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and literally the day that I found a provider that I was feeling good about, I got a call and I got off the wait list. Isn't that funny and... how the universe does that? <laughs> like, like you just had to go through all those appointments and finding the provider and getting used to that. And then it's like, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So maybe just a couple comments about things that are different in France. Cause I find them interesting for one, um, the due date is calculated at 41 weeks, not 40. The, I've told the, everyone that since that, that will listen to me since I learned that yeah. from you. The, the most they'll let you go is 42 weeks. So in terms of like the upper limit of what they're willing to tolerate risk-wise, it's equivalent to the U.S. Really what the big difference is, is that they're not panicked in between 40 and 41 weeks that the baby hasn't arrived. Exactly. Um, yeah. So that's just one thing right off the bat. There were some hilarious conversations about when was your last period? What's your due date? And it took me a while to realize like, okay, they're calculating 41 by 40 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, women also get six weeks of maternity leave before the baby comes. And the idea is that you should be resting and nesting and preparing. Um, obviously I didn't, get that much leave but I just think it's wonderful to throw out there into the universe as a pretty incredible ideal and the fact that you know in some places around the world that is very normal and that is what is expected of mothers Mm -hmm. in fact my midwife asked if I needed her to write me a note to keep working because I guess at French companies they would get nervous if a mom was trying to work too close to the due date what like (laughs) Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like literally the complete opposite. Like literally. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Oh exactly. Um, this isn't true of all French practitioners, but the practice that I was lucky, lucky enough to find myself in um, of these midwives, they only take a couple. Okay. Maybe it's three. It's three patients who are due every month. Mm-hmm. And so each appointment is about an hour long. Um, on my first, my first appointment, you know, she took my blood pressure, did the normal stuff, and I started putting my pants back on, and I was ready to walk out the door. Mm-hmm. And she stopped me and asked if I wanted to have a cup of tea, um, and I was really confused. Mm-hmm. And then she explained to me that, no, in fact, that was a normal part of the process. She wanted to hear about any worries or anxieties I was having. Um, and just wanted to talk through my previous birth. It was pretty fantastic. That is so amazing, Erin. Yeah. Yeah. It it really was. It's almost like they doula you. I mean, obviously they're asking about the birth for clinical reasons and medical reasons, but, um, wow. Yeah. And actually a couple other interesting points. Doulas are actually not as common here and it's because I, Personally, I think one reason is midwives are used so much more. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
actually most women here do get epidurals and deliver in a clinic, but they deliver with midwives. It's not mm-hmm. unless you're high risk that you actually see a doctor. And so a lot of those midwives kind of take on the birth support, labor <coughs> support role that mm-hmm. in the U.S., because of insurance and, you know, billing requirements and everything, you know, really you sort of need a doula if you're going to want that support. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was coming out, you know, when we knew that I was planning to come out there for Vaughn's birth. Um, I mean, I'd have to go back and read my emails, but I, I remember just them kind of saying to you, like, you're welcome to have your doula, but we will be with you throughout the whole time. Like, it's just different yeah. here kind of thing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I remember when I first asked just to make sure it was okay with them that I brought you to an appointment if possible and the birth, they were like, oh, absolutely. Um, you know, we'd be thrilled to chat with her. And it, there was just this very like collegial, collaborative, like nothing to hide here. We'd love to chat with another birth worker and mm-hmm. like do our thing. And that was, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to <laughs> segue away from your story, but that as a birth worker was just, was something I will always remember and cherish just being able to chat with them, birth worker to birth worker from different countries, like on their turf in their country. And they were just so welcoming and lovely and just, it was just great. Really. Great. Yeah. So maybe we'll fast forward to the end, end ish of my pregnancy. Um, so yet again, my, I'm coming up on 41 weeks, which was a Saturday. Mm-hmm. So in France, you know, on your due date on 41 weeks, you're required, whether or not you're with a doctor or a midwife to have a non-stress test and an ultrasound to do a fluid check. And, um, so my midwife, actually, this is another thing. It was all done at the hospital. Um, but my midwife wanted to come in and be with me for all that. Aww. And so, it, you know, as it was leading up, I actually was having some contractions at night, um, mm-hmm. which hadn't really happened to me with my first. So I kind of had a feeling that I was close. And so I, I kind of joked with you and my midwife, like, we'll see you at the hospital either way on Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I remember to that. Deliver, either to deliver a baby or to do all these tests. Right. And we'll go a little bit longer. So, you know, to your point about stories, um, my husband had volunteered to play Père Noël, Santa Claus. It was December 9th in my daughter's clash little holiday show. That is right. And, oh, my yeah. gosh, Erin. Oh, yeah. Um, I think they're just intrigued by the fact that he was like over six, four and speaks really endearing French. And mm-hmm. so they wanted like the big American to be Santa Claus. Right. It's <laughs> sort of a big deal. Like the, the mayor of our area of the city was going to come. Um, he'd done it the previous year and I was having contractions all that day, about 30 minutes apart. So we kind of were I was much more stressed about him being able to make it to the Christmas play than I was about my own contractions. Right. 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 Um, So I was just kind of taking it easy. Um, It was interesting with the first time I went through this with Bodhi, I found it was a lot easier to not have any expectations. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a good thing. And, and something that was a real, that was a challenge for me, in the second less delivery, but, or sorry, less in the pregnancy, but more in the second delivery was because I already had those memories and had the experience. It was really, really hard not to compare. 
Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We always bring our first birth into our second or any prior birth into our, into our, the the current birth. Yeah. And so, you know, whereas my first labor had started so suddenly, I kind of had this, like, what is going on? What are these, you know, 30 minute contractions? You know, what are these multiple nights of contractions, but without it really progressing? Um, It was strange. Mm -hmm. So well, you, you hadn't experienced that before. It was like, it was not no. your norm. It was not your, not what you were used to. Exactly. So I won't leave people hanging any longer. My husband did make it to the Christmas play. <laughs> um, I stayed home, continuing to have contractions. Um, he got back. I had contractions that whole night and the pattern was just much more irregular than, mm-hmm. than my first labor. There'd be one or two close together, and then they'd really stretch out. But they seem to be much longer and sharper and more intense. So, you know, there'd be a couple 10 minutes apart, but, like, for close to – the contractions were lasting close to two minutes. Whereas with my first labor, I think basically the entire time, they were almost a minute on the dot. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds and, to me like you were prodromaling and obviously I remember from when I was there, but you were yeah. just kind of like prodromaling, which just means there's no real pattern to it. And it can kind of be, um, it's a mind game. Cause you're like, especially cause you have, if you, if you're not on your first pregnancy, you have older children to figure out logistics and stuff. And so, um, I think that can be the hardest part is like, okay, is it time? Is it not time? Do I wake up right now? Yep. Do I go to sleep right now? Do I get childcare? That kind of thing. For sure. No, that, that was, that was so true. Um, and, in, and also I think in my head, you know, you hear these people that, you know, their second baby flies out in the taxi cab, you know, on the way mm-hmm. to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And my first labor was 22, 24 hours. So clearly that was not my destiny, but you know, in your head, you have it regardless of how hard and long your first labor was, your second one probably will be faster. So mm-hmm. Chances, um, chances are good that it'll be yeah. faster. Yeah. Um, and in the end it was faster, but there were just points where it didn't feel like it. Right. So <laughs> it like six in the morning, you know, I'd been up for like two days now with pretty strong contractions, but that weren't really advancing to a point where I should go into the hospital. Um, and, you know, after talking with you and my midwife was super supportive, I, Truth be told, I, I think I had this thing in my head of, like, I didn't want to waste the midwife's time. Mm-hmm. Like, I wanted to to go into the birth center, like, when I was ready to have a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, but with my second, I think, and I wish I would just had been a bit softer with myself on this. I wish I had just kind of gone in and gotten in the zone and, like, mm-hmm. un- unplugged from my real life sooner Mm-hmm. I can totally and, see that. Yeah. And, and not had this guilt of like, oh, I don't want her to have to be at work for mm-hmm. you know, 24 hours. Like I want her to just show up and catch the baby. I don't want to like bother everyone. I'm so the same way, Erin. I can completely empathize. And we have to just remember to try to put ourselves first, especially when we're doing something as major as, you know, bringing a baby into the world. But I would have been the same way. Like, I don't want to bother them. Like it's the middle of the night, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like she took me off the waiting list. I live a little Mm -hmm. bit farther away. Like Mm -hmm. I'll try not to be a trouble. Right. Um, But she was really great about just encouraging me to come in at like six in the morning. Um, So I think 
yeah, we actually think we all showed up close to 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so 7 a.m. Saturday morning. And it was still cu- – refresh my memory of what you remember, but I think they were still about eight minutes apart. And yeah, they like, were a bit irregular. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, eight minutes sounds right. But then you'd have a couple weird, you're not weird, but closer ones. And yeah, um, but you, you definitely weren't active yet. I don't feel like when I got to the birth center in the morning, you were again, yeah. very lucid and chatting with us. And um, yeah. Um, and it's worth noting that they just sort of left open the back door to the birth center. So when we walked in, not a single person was asking for my paperwork. Um, we walked into like candles lit and just mm-hmm. this like super easy, peaceful entry, which it just was felt cool. like someone's apartment, you know, yeah. like just, and I remember, I don't know if it was you or Evan or, or your midwife that told me, and you couldn't even see this, but I remember just, there was like an elevator and they're like, yep, if they're, if you need to go to the hospital for whatever reason, there's like an elevator over there and it goes right up to L and D. I remember being yeah. like, wow, <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And actually do you remember another baby? It's a super small birth center. There's two rooms and a baby had just been born in the other room when we walked in. I do. Yeah. And I met the dad when he came out um, oh, afterwards cool. when I popped out for some a second. And of course, I felt horrible because I wanted to say like some really sweet things and I don't speak a right. lick of French. <laughs> he didn't speak English. <laughs> um, like, so it was a lot of like, you know, congratulations with your eyes and that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just kind of did my best to try to, like, rest and, like, work through the contractions. Um, I don't know if it's because I was more tired because I'd had the stomach flu the week prior because I had a toddler I was chasing around. Um, I feel like I was just, in general, a lot more low energy and kind of quiet um, in my second delivery. Um, I think part of it was just the mental uncertainty and like maybe feeling a bit anxious about what's going on. Why are these contractions so irregular? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, cause the first time I felt like, you know, Oh, listening to your body really works. This thing progressed fairly, not quickly, but at least like in a w- logical way that made sense to me. Well, it's like a pattern is predictable, right? And so when you don't have that predictable pattern, it's it's unsettling. It's a, it's it becomes yeah. so much of a mind game and a like like we were kind of saying earlier, like okay, so what do I do right now? And usually the right. answer is rest and do life. Um, right. but we were already at the birth center. You were already far enough along that we knew you were either flirting with active labor or in the beginning of it, but your contractions were just kind of spaced apart. Right. And you know, again, it was hard for me to not think like with my first labor, my mucus plug fell out a couple mm-hmm. days before, like my mucus plug hadn't come out or not mm-hmm. that I had noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my water didn't break walking into the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up getting in the bath um, and I really kind of, st- I was feeling like urges to push. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was pushing a little bit and you'll remember that in doing the intermittent monitoring, Fanny, my midwife, um, got, or during one contraction, my son's heart rate really dropped. And so she said, you know what, I want you to get out of the bath and just lay on your side on the bed and, and try to relax. And she was, I thought really compassionate, but also firm. And she said, Mm -hmm. I'm going to monitor you every contraction and, if I see something else in his heart rate that I don't like, we're going to head upstairs. 
Um, and I said, okay. And after all, that was why I wanted to be in the hospital. And Mm -hmm. I was really glad that she was taking it so seriously. Mm -hmm. Well, you had found your sweet spot, you know, that was, that was the right fit for you. Yeah. And that she was, yeah, she was, that was a great way to describe her in that moment as well. Yeah. Um, just super matter of fact, I felt like she didn't overplay it, but also didn't underplay it. And I, I appreciated that honesty. Um, luckily, once I got on the bed and got on my side, all the numbers started looking really good again. Um, but honestly, I think I was terrified to move from my side mm-hmm. for fear that I would somehow squish him or. Mm-hmm. I think know, he honestly just, you know, he, you know, babies roll around. And I think he like, you know, his elbow went into the umbilical cord for a minute or something like that. It was just kind of a, cause it didn't happen again. Like it was just kind of a fluky, fluky little count. Right. Um, but I think in actually some way it just helped me mentally. I was like, you know what, just let go, try to breathe and you're going to be laying on your side on this bed and like, let the contractions come. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I just, again, it seems like a very long time I was there. I don't think it really was that long, but you know, mentally it was kind of hard to stay in a positive place because Mm -hmm. again, I'm thinking, holy cow, my water hasn't even broken yet. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just kept thinking with my daughter, I had, you know, X amount of hours ahead and all this work ahead after my water broke. So I'm not even to that point yet, even though it's a false comparison. Um, that was really hard for me mentally. Um, and you guys were all telling me I was doing a great job and telling me all the right things. But I think in my head, I was like, wait, but I'm not to this point yet. Just sort of being crazy in type A. Well, because, and I'm so glad you're actually sharing both of these stories on the same podcast, because it gives you such a good representation of a, how different they can be. And I mean, you had a very um, uh, predictable, I'll say like, and, and a typical first birth, right? Um, mm-hmm. Like you said, with the mucus plug, like the, the contractions kind of steadily got closer together somewhere between 22 and 24 hours. Like those are all very typical things for a first time mom. Um, and then, like I was saying earlier, like you really kind of, you, you do what you know, right? And so like in any profession or in anything you're doing, you're expecting when you do something the second time that it's going to be similar or, um, you know, have some similarities. And these were very different experiences. And it sounds like you were still like in that logical brain with mom's birth. Right. And so you hadn't kind of kicked over to like kind of that primate self that we talked about with, um, with, uh, Bodhi's birth. Totally. And I think I even told you, like, I think there's something wrong. Like the pain is just so sharp and it's like right here. I think I was looking for almost like some, I wanted some like medical explanation, like, oh, this dorsal positioning of the baby in this Mm -hmm, way is mm -hmm. causing this. And like, you know, as you know, you're just not going to get that. I think I needed to just let up and go with it a little more. Like surrender a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So uh, around probably 10, 30, 11, I'd been on my side for a while, having some pretty strong contractions. I think they were still irregular, actually, probably irregular and getting more or less close together, but definitely still irregular. Mm -hmm. Um, And my midwife came in and said, you know, there's someone else. There's another woman who's here and is past 41 weeks. And actually a retired midwife is going to do some acupuncture on her to try to induce her labor. She said she'd be willing to come put a needle in you. Is that okay? 
or would, would you want that? Um, and I, I think I actually looked at you and said, what do you think? And you said, sure, why not? And I said, okay, sure, why not? That's my answer <laughs> then. Bring her in. And I feel like in that moment, it was already pretty intense in the room. Like you were getting close, but like there was still some frustration of like, yeah. am I wrong? And I don't want to, I don't want to like take any words from you, but that's like the sense I got when we were kind of like, hmm, could we do this? Or is, like, is this a good yeah. idea or is this a bad idea? And it was kind of like, it was almost like it was an option um, that, that was totally off the wall. None of us were expecting that. Um, yeah. But it made so much sense at the time because we were like, well, what we're doing doesn't really feel like it's working. So let's try this new Exactly. Option. Yeah. That's a good summary. I felt like, yeah, what I'm doing isn't going that great. So like, who am I to be turning down other ideas? Right, right. Um, so this this older woman comes in and actually in talking about it with Fanny, our midwife, after apparently she was annoyed because this woman is like rapid firing, French, rapid fire talking to me in French. Um, as I'm having contractions and my midwife is like, what? Like, get, like, let her alone while she's having contractions. Yeah. Um, and at any rate, my memory of it, and then I'll let you correct it after. No, it's, no, no. It's your, I, no, it's your memory. <laughs> I, well, I basically put out like my left arm and she put a needle in the top of my palm and then a really big contraction came and like, I, I basically kind of splayed my legs apart and just felt down and I was like wait I all of a sudden I just felt a huge gush of water in the head Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and the woman is like trying to put a second needle in on my other arm but it's clear that like Vaughn is being born Mm -hmm. and it was funny there's a video thank you thank you thank you for taking that video of him being born (laughs) you're welcome I showed one of my really close friends who's an OBGYN it the other day. Mm -hmm. And she's like, whose hand is that? And I was like, it's mine. And she was just laughing so hard. She Mm -hmm. was like, oh my God, no gloves, like no doctor's hand, like in her world. That was just so funny. Mm -hmm. And she said that actually she thought it was so cool because she thinks that in the U.S. most doctors and hospitals are sort of too aggressive and grabby and Mm -hmm. like have their hands up in there and don't just kind of let the baby come out on its own. Mm -hmm. So she thought it was really awesome that the only hand in sight was like my little manicured hand, like poking around around the baby's head in the video. I love that. And that's so cool that you were able to show her that, you know, because like you said, that's probably very foreign in her world and what she has been taught, you know, I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just like, it's kind of like we were saying earlier with, with one birth to the second birth. It's like, you know what you know, right? And so, yeah, um, um, or what you're taught. Right. And so I don't know if you remember, Vaughn came out literally with the mucus plug on his forehead. Mm-hmm, like I do. On top of his head. Yep. And the water had clearly just broken like right then as he was coming out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, somewhat ironically, kind of these exterior symbols that I had been looking to as like, benchmarks of, of progress, um, you know, as we know, are not always the case, but we're all sort of there on display, like at once as he came out. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think I really pushed at all in, mm-hmm. in really sharp contrast to pushing for like two hours with Bodhi. Yeah. Um, and in retrospect, so the, a woman who taught a childbirth class that I went to had like four or five 
babies. And I remember her saying that in each one of her labors, there was a point where she didn't think she could do it. Mm -hmm. And that really stayed with me because in those points that were really mentally hard, I kind of liked the solace of like even really badass women who have done this multiple times have a point where they think they can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, and, hey, and... Um, P.S. You are one of those really badass women. Oh, Aaron. no, I don't know about that. <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, you are. But the, I just felt like the end, I was so much closer to to being there and to having him actually be born than I knew. And so just kind of that not knowing how close I actually was, was so, so hard. Are you there? Yeah, I'm sorry. My, um, my four-year-old just tried to FaceTime me and it cut us off for a second. I apologize, everybody. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Oh, no. Um, so I was saying you are one of those really badass women. And I just have to concur with your childbirth educator that um, we all get to that point. And it doesn't even have to be an unmedicated birth. You know, sometimes with, an, with a medicated yeah. birth or a surgical cesarean birth, um, we get to that point. Um, and it sounds like for you, and I, again, uh, I feel like I said this a couple of times, um, I empathize and I relate because this, this is, this is my truth as well, is that the mental part was more difficult for you than the physical and, and correct me if I'm wrong, sure. but I'm just, that's no, kind of what I hear. Ab- absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I too much like analyzing too much trying to predict and like, you know, think about how much energy I need going forward back to the, the funny Coke thing. I think I asked you a couple of times, like, are we ready for the Coke? Um, and then all of a sudden when his head just came out, one of my first thoughts was like, shoot, I didn't have the Coke yet. The Coke. How can this be happening? <laughs> exactly. Um, another thing I thought of when you were just telling me with, uh, or just sharing about Vaughn is like it, Vaughn brought you all those benchmarks you were looking for. And that's just kind of, kind of, I don't, I don't even know what I mean by that, but it's just kind of cool where um, I've noticed and I have four kids like, and all, you know, three different births, very different. And I feel like parts of their birth I see show up again in their life. And I know that sounds a bit hippy dippy and kind of weird. um, But some of the lessons I learned in their birth or their pregnancy or their labor, I see it, I see it being repeated throughout just mothering them and life with them and that kind of stuff. So I just thought, I didn't know if you had noticed that. So I just wanted to point that out because it's like something you were looking for and you had relied upon. It's like your son brought you and like, he's like, here you go, mom. I had it the whole time, you know? Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's so true. Yeah. Um, He's, he's an adorable, energetic, kind of unpredictable maniac. So I think that totally fits. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, all right. I want to cycle back for a second. And if you were talking about something else when I kicked off, when uh, Mark and uh, Blue kicked me off for a second, I apologize. Um, but you and I have joked, and I know you and Evan have, about um, just the witch's needle. I mean, that is oh, a yeah. really unique story. Um, <laughs> and I love it so much. Um, that lady was intense from from my point yeah. of view. Um, she was definitely speaking French to you really fast. Um she definitely um, brought a lot of energy to the room and a, like a very unique, um, like a wise energy to the room, um, but also a lot of energy to the room. And um, yeah. it's just 
I don't know. Again, I, I like I hesitate because I don't want to take any part of your story away. But it was just like she did that, and it was like instantaneously your water broke and his head came out. I mean, it was it, like it was insane. It was insane. Um, yeah, we. I laughed about it a few times. Like so. Oh, another. Well, actually, I'll circle back. But yeah, I was talking about it with my midwife, and I said, "Do you think that that really did something?" And she said. I don't know. I think we'll just call that woman the witch. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I really have no idea what happened, but you're right. Instantaneously, she put that needle in and I was like, I think my water just broke. Oh, I think that's the head. Oh, he's born. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and your contractions shifted. Like you had said, they were a bit unpredictable. They never really got super close together. Um, no. You were just kind of flirting, like what I call like kind of flirting with all of this kind of active labor type stuff. And as a birth worker, we know that what we call, like you were no longer a prima gravita, you were a multigravita, you know, you were what we call a multip, meaning you've had a vaginal birth before. And so we know that when you turn a corner, you're going to turn a corner. And that's, that's actually the phrase, like, that's what we say, like, they're going to turn a corner and you better be there because it's going to be fast. And it's almost like that needle, like instantaneously made you turn the corner because your, your contraction was, um, enormous you know like it was just like this big contraction that you hadn't had before um and again I'm doing a terrible job of not stealing your story and I apologize but that's what it looked like from the outside of just like yeah here's the big contraction we were kind of all waiting on kind of thing yeah no absolutely um and I actually am forgetting a really important other data point about why mentally it was really hard okay um if you remember at some point on the bed Fanny, the midwife, asked if I wanted her to check me. Mm-hmm. And I said, yes. And she asked if I wanted to know. And I said, yes. And I was like seven centimeters. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like I had been working so hard. And again, it was impossible to not kind of flash back to that check at GW where I was six centimeters. Mm-hmm. And I mentally had been thinking that I was like, farther than seven centimeters. Um, I know some people actually don't like to know for that very reason. Um, But yeah, in my head, I just was like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I really do have so much longer to go. But to your point, like I went from seven to 10 very quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And again, I mean, that can happen with any, any birth, but I think, um, you know, I always describe birth as like, we have like the norm, right? Like what's typical when we see things. And then we always have outliers, right? Because birth is just nature, right? So nature is not always going to like fit inside a box or inside a circle or whatever. But if I was talking to, you know, to you or another birth worker, I would say like that, that is pretty typical for um, a second time mom to go from seven to 10, even in a contraction or two. I mean, because that wasn't that long before Vaughn was born. No, you were already in the bed, but it can yeah. be so um, so difficult mentally because you're like, Oh dang, you know, like if I'm yeah. seven now, I remember at Bodie's I was six and I still had X amount of hours. Um, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's that, that can be hard, so but, um, true. but so yeah. I want to, I wanted to mention two quick postpartum things that I think are just really awesome about France. Mm-hmm. Yes. Please tell. Um, the the mentality is very much that the mom needs to rest literally horizontally with the baby for a few days, even weeks after the birth. 
And so the midwife comes to the house and does a check of mom and baby at day one. Sorry, I should say, I I actually ended up going home that night. I was never admitted. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the next day, day three, day five, and day seven. So So I just feel like that's an incredible luxury. I remember with Bodhi trying to, not trying, taking her into the pediatrician for the 48-hour appointment. And I had the same painful waddle going on Mm. as like the other newborn moms exiting. Um, And so in France, you don't have to do that stitched up waddle. Um, It kind of all comes to you at home, which is really amazing. It's so amazing. And it's really how it should be. It really is. I mean... Ugh. Oh, and not not to make people mad, but the entire birth and so the entire birth and afterbirth consultations cost about 700 euros. Oh, my gosh. And so tell people what yeah. that is in American dollars, because it's even less American dollars. <laughs> um, oh, so, so it's a little more. OK. Um, but not much, actually. OK. Yeah. So about like seven, eight hundred bucks. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. And then one other thing, cause I know you guys are, are working on this in France. It is standard practice to give women a minimum of 10 pelvic floor therapy sessions after birth. Mm-hmm. And the French word is re-education, like literally re-education, mm-hmm. re- re-educating all of those muscles because they've been at best stretched at worst torn and damaged well and they've experienced Um, trauma and trauma doesn't necessarily I don't mean that like in like an awful sense it's like it's trauma because that muscle doesn't necessarily go that way or it's been stretched or it's been some in some cases torn as you mentioned you know like yeah so I think so I kind of went native and and benefited from that and I know it's something that's becoming more popular in the U.S. and and that's pretty cool. So I'm I'm thrilled that you know as part of of Arrow, you guys are connected with pelvic floor therapists, and I've actually had a lot of friends talk about issues with incontinence and and other things that frankly aren't as prevalent here in France. I think because of that standard aftercare that's provided, which makes so much sense, right? I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, we, we, (laughs) I want that for everyone. And I, I've honestly, and you know, we've obviously talked about these differences and I've told as many people will listen to me about these differences. In fact, I think you should, you, if you felt up to it, you should write a blog, just like the, I gave birth in America and I gave birth in Paris. I mean, that would like, it's just, or in France, you know, it's just, there are so many differences, but, um, they, it's good for people in, in the U S to know the differences because then it opens your mind to say like, okay, so, um, this isn't the only way, right? Like this is, the, right. this is cause we take things at face value, right? Like, okay, so I have to go to the postpartum appointment. I have to take my kid to the pediatric pediatrician at 24, 48 hours. And just knowing that that's not necessarily, um, the only way I think is incredibly empowering and probably frustrating as well if, if you're still having to do it. But, um, yeah, well, just to know that the norm is all relative. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, don't, yeah, to think that you're a bad mom because you don't want to do X or Y, 
um, maybe that's not founded. Exactly. Yeah. And I know in DC, for instance, because I've had clients that I've worked um, with, there's like two pediatricians that actually do all in-home visits. Um, oh, wow. And I can't think of their names off the top of my head right now, but if anybody's listening and interested, reach out. Um, but they do everything in home except when obviously you're admitted to the hospital or something like that. So, cause I had, I have had a couple of clients use them and just like, just again, the profound difference of like, every, they come to my house, you know, I have a sick child and they yeah. come to my house or I have a newborn baby. They come to my house and that kind of stuff. I, I clearly have many different confounding variables. It's my second kid. Um, you know, I, I planned some things differently. Breastfeeding was a little easier for me the second time, but I also had the home care and my overall recovery the second time was dramatically different. Mm. Um, I felt like shockingly, unpredictably and scarily great, like a day after the birth, mm. the, the very day and night of the birth. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even remember bleeding that much. Um, certainly not during the birth with Fawn, like I did with Bodhi. Mm -hmm. Um, it seemed to just take much less of a toll on my body. Mm -hmm. And I have to think that being a bit more, um, calm and restful and not trying to do as much in the days after the birth couldn't have hurt. No, it definitely didn't. Yeah, no. And I love that. And I really appreciate you sharing that because it, as you know, it's just people almost feel like we feel guilt for so many things, especially as women, but then they almost feel guilt yeah. for like that self-care. Like for some reason, our culture has ingrained like this guilt with self-care and I'm all about yeah. the opposite of that. <laughs> um I was really lucky to work with um, a home birth midwife who we actually interviewed for the the Arrow, um, you know, our course, our Discover Childbirth Education course. And I was her birth assistant for sub- several years. And she preached all these same things. And she did not get, get trained in Europe, but she did train um, with the Amish. And the Amish are very similar in that regard, where they mm-hmm. um, they have 10 days um, they, they, the women do a lot of the housework and the laundry and all of that kind of stuff. But when you have a baby, you have, it's either 10 days or two weeks. And I can't remember. So someone let me know if you're out there listening, um, where the community comes together and you literally do nothing for two weeks. Let's say it's two weeks. Right. And so she learned that and saw how, like, cause she had the perspective of having the Amish clients and then having, you know, your, your, your typical American mom client and seeing how much better oh, their, yeah, their postpartums were excuse me, and how much better, less they were bleeding and how much more energy and all those things that you kind of just touched on. Excuse me. So anyway, she preached that a ton. That was, um, you know, definitely part of, um, her rhetoric and and what she told her clients and what I learned. And so I, I say it to people all the time, but listening to me and then like listening to what is ingrained and like, what is a part of our culture and what is expected of you in your own family and social circles is two different things. So, yeah. I don't know if this is medically true, but what my midwife here told me was she said, I actually, unless you have a really good reason, like going to the bathroom, taking a shower or nursing, you need to be physically horizontal Mm -hmm. because all of your organs have shifted and you need to be horizontal for them to go back. Mm -hmm. So I think hearing that from her, it kind of gave me the, the, the medical justification to like, okay, I need to be lying down. Mm -hmm. Like, you know she said I should do this and it kind of helped me take away any of the guilt 
from that. Mm -hmm. And I think it did make a big difference. It does, you know, especially from your care provider, right? That's like, hey, you know, this is why you need to do this. So I love that. Right. Oh, that's so good. Yes. Take care of yourself, people, postpartum, especially, you know, like it's, you've got a whole lifetime of getting back into it, you know, of raising that baby and doing the dishes and, you know, putting the laundry where it goes and all that jazz, like just pause, right? Um, There's, there's nothing like, like the birth of a baby to make us pause in the chaos of life. And I just, I just want people to, to actually pause, you know, I mean, it's just, ugh. My goodness. Yeah. Now you make me want to it's have another time. I can, I, I can was do that. actually just going to say, I'm definitely not having any more babies, but if for some reason I did, I couldn't do it without you there. So oh. thank you. Thank you. Oh, Aaron, you know, I love you and Evan <laughs> and your babies. And if you were anywhere, I would come and we would do it all together again. It was honestly such a a treasure for me, obviously, because we loved each other after Bodhi's birth, but then yeah. just the big adventure of, you know, going to Paris. I've made jokes here and there of like waiting on a baby in Paris is like scientifically proven to be the best place to have to wait, to <laughs> quote unquote, have to wait on a baby. You know, I mean, we went shopping, we did everything with the girls and my husband came at the end. We took the girls yeah. everywhere. My friend and her daughter came and my daughter and it was just I still remember that great night when we introduced you to Raclette. Yes. Oh my gosh. We Yes. That was such a fun night. Yes. And your mom, please tell her I said hi. We totally bonded then. And I will. Um, she actually just got back here. So. Oh, good. The rac- that raclette was so yummy. We had a ball. Yeah. We had a ball. So fun. All right. Well, it is late out there. I know that. And I'm going to go pick up my kiddos, but I, I love you. And I just, I just appreciate you sharing your story. It really is going to, so many people are going to really enjoy it and, and get so much out of it. No, you too. Uh, congrats on the business. I think Thank it's so you. exciting and absolutely wonderful what you guys are doing. So uh, the the future mothers of the world are so lucky to have to have you guys and to have oh. all that information out there. So Thank you. Don't Thank make you. me cry for the second time. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's it. I'm done. Thank you. All Sarah. right, honey. All right. Au revoir. I'll talk to you soon. Au revoir. Bye. Okay. Bye.